This past week, I, I sent out a survey concerning the Bible's heroes and villains. And I asked you, if you took the survey, who you identify with in the Bible is another question. From the heroes and villains list, from the heroes, I excluded God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit from your choices. I would have expected everyone to list them as the heroes of the Bible, because they are the heroes of the Bible. I wanted to know people's human-only heroes. And it was the same with the villains of the Bible. I excluded Satan and his demons. And I received quite a few responses, and I thank you for that. But if you didn't take the survey, I want you this morning to just take a moment to think about the Bible's greatest heroes and then some of the villains of the Bible. And then I want you to consider who you closely identify with in the Bible. Now I have to tell you, the survey results were not what I expected. I have to confess that I was looking for a very specific response to one of the questions. And I didn't get it. But before we get to the question for which I miscalculated the response, let me share some of the other results with you. First, in regard to Bible, Bible heroes, the top choices were Moses and Paul in a first place tie, followed by Noah, which was a little surprising. Fourth place went to Mary, the mother of Jesus. The number one villain from the survey was Judas Iscariot in a massive landslide. And since we're in the season of Lent, I wasn't surprised that Judas Iscariot wasn't on our minds. The number two villain from the survey was the Pharaoh that had held the Israelites captive in Egypt. The third question of that survey asked you who you identify with in the Bible. In other words, which Bible character is most like you, or which Bible character are you most like? And this is the point where y'all let me down. As I said, I had someone very specific in mind. The, the top vote-getters were Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. Mary was a favorite because people identify with her dedication to Jesus. And Martha's servant heart was also a connecting point with people who took the survey. And Mary and Martha were good choices. They just weren't the right choice. My choice. The Bible character, I believe, that y'all would have most closely agreed with was Peter. The one you would have identified with was Peter. And today's message focuses on Peter. And that's why I needed everyone to identify with Peter. But I have to be honest and tell you, Peter only got one vote in the survey. Mine. So even though I'm the only person in this church that identifies with the disciple Peter, we're still going to talk about Peter this morning. Maybe someday in the future we'll let Pastor David talk about Mary and Martha. Well, here's why I identify with Peter, and I think we all identify with him in some levels on these things. You know, one moment would have Peter boldly declaring his faith, and the next moment he would say something foolish and faithless. Peter was the only disciple that got out of the boat to walk on water. It was a great moment. Of course, you remember he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. Jesus had to save him. Peter was bold in proclaiming that Jesus was the Son of God. 
But a moment later, he was telling Jesus what to do. Not smart. Before the resurrection of Jesus, Peter was in hiding. After the resurrection, Peter preached a Holy Spirit-inspired sermon that resulted in 3,000 people coming to Christ. And as a pastor, I wish I could identify with Peter there. Peter had great moments of faith, but he also had major failures. And I think we get that. I think we can identify with Peter's failures. And and sadly, I'm a lot more like Peter as we see him in John chapter 18. As Pastor David read just a few minutes ago in John 18, Peter was falling into sin as he denied even knowing Jesus. And of course, if you know your Bible, you remember he did it three times. And after his third denial, the rooster crowed just as Jesus had predicted. And what Peter done, what Peter did, we've also done in some ways. And so I came up with a description for what happened with Peter and what sometimes happens with us, and I call it the fall of Peter and me. The fall of Peter and me, the fall of Peter and you. It's not a proud statement, but it happens. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning remembering how easy it is for us to fall into the trap of sin. And when we fall, it seems the sins pile one on top of the other. It can be a free fall into sin. We also remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us on the cross. It is only through your Son that we are saved. And we praise him and we are so thankful. And so we ask you to be with us this morning. Be with us through the Holy Spirit. Teach us. Convict us. Challenge us to come to repentance. And lead us into righteousness. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now our reading from from John 18 presents what was going on at that time in two different locations. And it does it at the same time. John alternated between describing what was happening with Jesus and then what was happening with Peter. And there was a startling contrast. We're going to focus primarily on Peter, but by the end of the message, we will contrast Jesus to Peter. John began by telling us that Peter and another disciple disciple followed Jesus and those who had arrested him. Peter started off on the right path. He was following Jesus. Now the other disciple whom Peter was with was most likely John himself. We can't be 100% sure, but most scholars think it was John. And John knew the high priest and was allowed to enter into the priest's courtyard. John then spoke to the servant girl who was keeping watch at the door. And he gained permission for Peter to enter as well. And very soon after, Peter began to fall. The servant girl that was keeping watch at the door asked Peter, she said, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? She began by saying, you also. It seems she knew that John was a follower of Jesus and she assumed Peter was also a follower. Her question, though, wasn't an attack. She was just a servant girl. 
Her question was likely one of curiosity. And all Peter had to do was say, I actually am one of Jesus' followers. Nothing more would have happened. But Peter was afraid. It was much easier for him to just deny Jesus. And so Peter made the first of his three denials. He said, I am not. I'm not a disciple. I'm not a follower of Jesus. And Peter's denials were the basis, were the foundation of his fall. One way you and I can deny Jesus is by trying to fit in. The fall of Peter and me happens as we try to fit in. We try to fit in with the world instead of standing with Jesus. And in doing so, we may deny Jesus. It was cold that night in the priest's courtyard and it was late. The servants and officers had built a fire. And rather than staying with John and Jesus, Peter chose to hang out with the servants and the officers. Now, these were not necessarily bad people, but they certainly were the wrong crowd. Peter chose to fit in. And we want to fit in as well. Here's a a very, very simple example. I want you to think about your pictures from high school. And if you're currently in high school or it hasn't been that long that you were in high school, think about your parents' pictures from high school. They're usually worth a laugh, aren't they? You know, as you think about this, there was the, the greasers look of the 1950s. In 1960s, it was the Beatles, hair, Beatles haircut and the girls with those hair flips or whatever you call those. Not sure. I'm more familiar with the 70s, which bought bell-bottom pants, disco shirts, of which I owned a few, and long hair. The 80s were known for big hair. My wife had big hair. By then, I was losing my hair. Now, I have to confess, I don't know current fashion and the trends that have taken place in the recent years. You know, my wife Mary dresses me. My shirts have like a little gorilla, and then my pants have a gorilla, and I match them together. I I think the style I wear is called old guy casual. But I do know this. What is in style today, what is popular today, is soon going to go out of style. And that's why our old photos are so funny. We look back at these pictures sometimes, and we wonder, what was I thinking? And the answer is obvious. We wanted to fit in. Social media has created a fitting-in phenomenon. We communicate via social media. We share what we ate for lunch, where we went on vacation. We share funny memes, and we use it to argue politics. Social media gets us attention. It gives us a platform. Social media can be used to, to validate us. It can be a good thing, but social media for some is also another tool to fit in. To fit in with our culture, we often keep our mouths shut. Nobody wants to be canceled or be called a hater. Fitting in means that today we can no longer call an ageless toy Mr. or Mrs. Potato Head. It's just Potato Head. Genderless. I hope someday we'll look back and see how ridiculous renaming toys was. 
We often, though, do whatever it takes to blend in, whether it's in our hairstyles, our clothes, social media, what we say, what we don't say, and even how we act. And the fact of the matter is Jesus never called us to fit in. Paul said we are aliens and strangers in this world. Christians should stand out. Instead of denying the truth to fit in, we stand with the truth, but we stand in the truth with love and with grace. We stand with Jesus even when it isn't comfortable. Another factor in Peter's falling was overconfidence. If you go back to John chapter 13, verses 30, verse 37, Peter told Jesus that he was willing to die for him. In Luke 22, Peter said he would go to prison and die with Jesus if necessary. In Mark 14, Peter said that it, even if everyone left Jesus, he would not. Peter was confident. Peter was overconfident. Properly paced, placed confidence can be a good thing. Realizing that in Christ we can do amazing things is good. Taking a, a leap of faith can help us grow. The Apostle Paul stated proper confidence this way in Philippians 4.13. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Proper confidence is confidence in Jesus. It isn't about us. Overconfidence, overconfidence often relies on our own abilities. And overconfidence precedes failure. The sports team that overlooks a weak opponent can end up with an embarrassing loss. The student who knows it all and doesn't need to study for an exam might be in for a big surprise. The person who knows that they are the obvious choice for a promotion can be left angry and disappointed. The Christian who looks down on another person's sin while thinking that that could never happen to me is prime for a fall. Peter was prime for a fall. It was a fall that happened just as Jesus predicted. Overconfidence is usually related to another step in Peter's fall, which is being unprepared. That sports team that's expecting the easy win or the student who doesn't study or the one expecting a promotion and the Christian not expecting to sin are all unprepared. I used to have a, a recurring dream when I was younger. It actually was a nightmare. In my dream, I was in college and I'm headed to take a final exam for one of my classes. And as I enter the exam room, suddenly I realize that I'm unprepared. I hadn't gone to any of the classes. I didn't do any of the readings. I didn't turn any of the assignments in. I simply forgot. And there I am, ready to take a final, and I've never done anything. It was a disaster. And usually from that dream, I woke up with a cold sweat and in a panic. You know, what's funny is, I was the student that always did all the reading, who never missed a class and turned in my assignments early. And I wonder if maybe my fear of being unprepared drove me with an obsession to be prepared. The fact is, though, is Peter was unprepared. 
John doesn't record it in his gospel, but we see evidence of Peter's lack of preparation in Mark chapter 14. In Mark 14, the disciples were with Jesus as they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was about to be arrested. Jesus took his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, with him further into the garden. And Jesus said to them, he said, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Jesus then prayed. When he came back to Peter, James, and John, what were they doing? Shout it out. Sleeping. They were sleeping. Peter slept while Jesus prayed. Peter slept while Jesus faced his most vulnerable moment. Peter slept when he should have been keeping watch, watching not to fall. Prayer is a key component of our preparations. Matthew records Jesus' words the first time he found his disciples sleeping. Jesus said, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. It was a direct warning. And yet Peter and the others didn't watch. They didn't pray. Instead, Peter and the others fell quickly back to sleep. Before we study, before we apply apply for a job, before we play a game, or before we face our daily temptations, we should pray. Again, prayer is a key component to any preparations. Some of us pray for hours at a time, and that is wonderful. Others of us struggle to pray for a few minutes without being distracted. And sadly, I will confess to you, I struggle. I identify more with the second group, the easily distracted. But, But I've learned something. And what I've learned is that the more we pray, the more we pray, the more we want to pray. The more we pray, the better we know how to pray. And the more we pray, the longer we pray. Now, some of us might not be that hour or two-hour-long two prayer person. I understand. And yet, the fact is, is that we can all be that person who prays a few words every hour of every day. The last thing to note in the fall of Peter and me is distance. Distance can be related to trying to fit in. Distance is keeping ourselves from getting too close to Jesus. Distance can be of the heart, and sometimes it's actually a a physical distance. Peter kept his distance. Luke 22.54 says, When Peter came to the priest's house that night, he followed at a distance. John, in his gospel, makes it clear Peter stayed in the courtyard instead of entering into the palace grounds with John. When we keep our distance from Jesus, falling into sin is so much easier. You know, the, the, the COVID pandemic has kept us at a, a physical distance from one another. Physical church attendance has dropped by over 50% compared to our pre-COVID numbers. 
And some of you are here in the building, and that is great and wonderful. Many more of you are watching online, and that is so good too. We want people to be comfortable. We want people to be safe. But as we think about this, I'm kind of curious. What happens after the pandemic? What happens when we can gather again without restrictions? Hopefully, hopefully before the end of summer, we'll be back to church as usual. The question is, is will people come back to the building? A Barna survey discovered that over 50% of pastors expect a drop in physical church attendance even after the pandemic ends. Now I will tell you, watching church online is a good thing. It has been a great blessing to have that technology. It's so important during this time. But the truth is, nothing replaces the people of God physically worshiping together. Nothing replaces that. Christians who say that they don't ever need to come to church are taking a huge risk. They're distancing themselves from the body of Christ. You know, I need the church. Sunday mornings provide me a spiritual boost that gets me started on the week. Seeing and talking to all of you strengthens me. Singing reminds me that I have so many reasons to praise God. Being challenged and encouraged by a message helps me grow. Staying close to the church, the bride of Christ, is essential. It's essential to our faith. We need each other. We need to come together and worship together. There's something powerful in that. Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. He distanced himself from our Savior. And Peter hit rock bottom. And I have to ask this. If we have fallen like Peter, where's the hope? Where's the hope? While Peter was falling, Jesus was standing tall. It said in this passage, John went back and forth and between Peter and Jesus, and it's quite a contrast. Jesus was being interrogated by Annas, the powerful farmer high priest. Instead of trying to fit in, Jesus stood on the truth. He told Annas, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Jesus wasn't hiding anything. He was telling the truth. He wasn't afraid. Jesus was confident in his message because his message was truth. When an officer of the priest struck him, Jesus kept his composure. Jesus knew what was coming. He was prepared for the beating and the cross. If you remember, Jesus had prayed He prayed deeply and hard. And throughout his life, Jesus stayed intimately close to his heavenly Father. Jesus stood tall as he headed to the cross. And Peter fell. So let me ask you again. Where is the hope? You know the answer. 
It's not in our nation. It's not in science. It's not in a way of thinking. It's not in a political or other leader. It's not within us. These all fall just like Peter. Our only hope is in Jesus. Jesus accomplished his mission. He died so we might live again, or that we might live. He rose again. Jesus didn't abandon Peter, even though Peter abandoned Jesus. The fallen disciple was restored by Jesus. The fallen sinner became a God-glorifying church leader. Like Peter, you and I fall. But like Peter, we can trust in Jesus and Jesus will restore us. Let's pray.